You are listening to Pokemon Rose, a nostalgic look back at the Pokemon series, with your host, Dan Hughes. All right, we are fully in gold and silver territory now. Last week we talked about how the expansion of the Pokedex made the partner Pokemon a much more sentimental, close relationship. The idea that you need someone that you can rely on to kind of get through this wide world. Well, how did that wide world get so wide? How did it expand in the first place? Well, we wouldn't have a thousand plus Pokemon with many different regions if it hadn't been for the inclusion and the addition of the Johto region in Gold and Silver. Prior to Gold and Silver version, the Pokemon world was pretty insular. It was the Kanto region, but that was about it. You didn't get the sense that there was a world beyond the Kanto region. Maybe wherever the SSN sh uh, shipped off to <laughs> was some other kind of place, but realistically, between the video games and the anime, there wasn't really a sense that there was a world outside of what we were seeing in Red and Blue. Well, along comes Gold and Silver, and all of a sudden that is completely turned on its head. The world is much bigger than we thought it was. The way that this is presented to us originally is in the Pokedex. There's new Pokemon. Something that I think needs to be said about Pokemon is that nowadays, I think it's kind of understood that the world of Pokemon is vast. It's basically a mirror to our world. There's all these different regions that are like different countries. Uh, there's a huge kind of mythos and uh, ecosystem that exists that binds the world together along with some alternate universes and alternate timelines, but we won't get into that in this episode. It's kind of understood, though, that when we go to a new region like Paldea in Scarlet and Violet, it's not like it's being discovered. It's not the sense of, oh, these are brand new. It's just that this is a portion of the world that we haven't seen before. It was very different in Pokemon Gold and Silver because you had this dissonance between the fact that Johto... The region of Johto, this new place, was, in effect, a new region that we had never seen. But, of course, people had lived there. There has been this whole history. It's not like it just formed all of a sudden. It wasn't a brand new place. So at once you had the brand new inclusion of the uh, hundred new Pokemon that were in the Pokedex, which kind of made it seem like you were discovering something new versus the incredible history of the Johto region that existed through its lore, its characters, its locations, and its special Pokemon. It was a really weird thing to kind of wrap your head around as a kid, because realistically, in our world, this was all new, right? But the Pokemon company, Game Freak, had to figure out, how can we make this brand new place feel like it's been around forever? Well, they did it in two ways. Way the first. They made it so that this sequel took place roughly three years after Red and Blue. This isn't readily apparent when you're playing through Gold and Silver until you get to the end game and you realize that time has passed in the Kanto region. Things are different. The gyms are different. The world looks different. Uh, there's construction all over the place. Certain things have burned down or been... Uh, consumed by volcanoes, as uh, is the case of Blaine's Gym. Things are different. Time has passed. It is a true sequel in the sense that 
it's not taking place parallel to Pokemon Red and Blue, but afterwards. So that was the first way. And the second way was kind of making it so that all of this stuff that you were seeing in Johto clearly had a tangible history behind it. This was also something that wasn't readily apparent to you and you had to go digging for. You'll remember when we talked about Mewtwo and the hidden uh, context of Team Rocket's plan and the birth of Mewtwo, the cloning of Mew, etc., etc. Well, Pokemon Gold and Silver did something really interesting with the mythological history of the Johto region. First of all, it was much more steeped in Japanese myth than the Kanto region was. Kanto was basically just, there's a couple of uh, really powerful birds that represent a different element, and then there's this genetic, uh, well, let's be honest, mistake called Mewtwo that's roaming around a cave in Cerulean. Johto had more of a mythological history to it. Namely, you had the two legendary birds, Ho-Oh and Lugia. Ho-Oh and Lugia being representatives of realistically day and night, respectively, but they were also in reference to Japanese myth, this idea of Lugia being the god of the sea and Ho-Oh being kind of the kind of di direct uh physical representation of like an Amaterasu sun goddess kind of thing. Um, but also just the idea of kind of a beautiful golden phoenix that brings the day to the world. These had more lore implications to the world of Pokemon than Articuno, Moltres, Moltres and Zapdos, who were just these powerful legendary Pokemon. Ho-Oh and Lugia had something to do with the construction of the world the way that everything functioned, the way that Johto saw itself culturally and traditionally. And on top of that, to replace the three kind of uh, ice, fire, and lightning bird Pokemon were the legendary dogs, or the legendary cats, depending on who you ask. They were always legendary dogs to me and my friends. Entei, Raikou, and Suicune. These Pokemon were very special for a number of reasons. First being that they were truly elusive. You had to go through all kinds of hoops to see them in the world. They were completely random encounters. Sometimes you would uh, be able to lure them with honey or other things like that, but generally speaking, it was completely random that you would see them in the wild. They didn't have a fixed location in the world. Once you saw them in this kind of fantastical tower where they were, uh, I guess you could say, lying dormant for a while... They run away to all corners of the world, and you can kind of see where they're going to be if you look them up on the Pokedex, but it wasn't a guarantee. It was really kind of luck-based, depending on when you would see them. And these three legendary dogs have their own backstory to them. There's this idea that they were Eevees, or better, uh, better yet, Eeveelutions, a Flareon, a Jolteon, and a Vaporeon that had died and been reincarnated because of the great deeds that they had performed in the great burning of one of these towers belonging to Ho-Oh, I believe. So you can see, without me getting into all of the minutiae of it, Johto felt way more realized in a lot of ways than Kanto did. It was this brand new place that felt like we had discovered a completely new uh, side of the world, 
And yet, Game Freak made a deliberate point to make it clear that, no, no, this has been here this whole time. It's had this incredible history of mythological legendary Pokemon. It has all of these Pokemon that have been uh, just normal to the region. It's not like they're new to them. And they have these stories that cement the history of Johto, the burning of the tower, the coming of Lugia and Ho-Oh, the reincarnation of the three legendary dogs. And if you get really into it, this Pokemon called Celebi that actually has power over time itself. That's something I want to save for another episode, but it's a really important note here that Johto was completely alive in and of itself. So why am I bringing all this up? Well, for a couple of reasons, but mainly to illustrate that Pokemon was at a really important precipice with gold and silver. As I've mentioned, it could have been a sophomore slump. It could have been a real flop. They could have rested on their laurels and made basically Pokemon 2, you know, back in the Kanto region. But they didn't do that. They built this entire world of Johto. And at the same time, they fleshed out the previous region, Kanto, by introducing all of the post-game uh, content of going back to Kanto and getting all of those gym badges. Suddenly, it wasn't an insular world anymore. It made you think, well, what else is in this world? How many other legendary Pokemon are there? What is the true mythopoeia of the Pokemon world at large? Do Ho-Oh and Lugia fit into other regions? How many Pokemon are there? So Pokemon Gold and Silver captured the adventurous spirit of the first games and also kind of made you into this Professor Oak character. What else is out there? I want to see it. I got to see it. There's so much to see. What was your favorite part of Gold and Silver? Did you find the legendary stories interesting? Do you remember running around looking for Entei, especially after Pokemon, the third movie? I know I do. I love the Johto region, not just because it's so steeped in Japanese culture, which is a real uh, penchant of mine, but also because it opened the door for so many interesting things in the Pokemon world. So many interesting things that we will cover in future episodes. Until then. <laughs>